Welcome to Normalize Nudity, where we think, kink, and sink. I'm Sashada Rose. Are you ready to get naked? Let's strip. Welcome back to another episode of Normalize Nudity. Um, I'm excited to introduce our next guest. Um, we're going to learn a little more about sexuality and maybe a sexuality style that isn't often discussed. So I want to introduce Lasatia. And if you could just take some time to let us know who you are, what you do, where you're based, or if you have any projects or anything you're working on that you want listeners to know about. Yeah, so like you said, I'm Lucasia. I am based in St. Paul, Minnesota, the sister city of Minneapolis. So we've had a lot of, you know, action here as of late. But um, I would consider myself first an artist um, of lots of mediums. So what I've been focusing on primarily for the past couple of years is writing um, and photography. And I spend a lot of time in um, organizer circles, but I would consider myself less of an organizer and more of like a community architect um, who who focused on you know starting conversations. Um, I'm also a funeral celebrant and grief advocate. So what that means is I sit down with families who are going through transition and loss, and I help write a ceremony um, to celebrate their loved ones. Um, and right now I'm just focusing on building that business. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. And so if people want to get connected with you, where can they find you on socials, website, anything like that? Yeah. So I'm kind of in a liminal space with my socials, like deciding how to blend professional, personal creative. Um, but the best place to reach me right now would be on my website, um, therevolvingalter.com, and there's a contact portion. So if you wanted to connect with me, you could definitely send a message to that and I would see it. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So as we know, like sexuality lives on a spectrum and it is also fluid and it's not this static thing. I like to think about it like this living, breathing thing that evolves as we continue to evolve as people. Um, so could you talk to us about what, okay, first, what's your sexual orientation? And then we can dive into a little more about that. Um, I identify as pansexual. I'm not quite sure what the um, dictionary definition is, pan, I think, meaning many, but <laughs> to me, um, I gravitate more toward um, identifying as pansexual rather than um, bisexual, not because of the semantic aspect of things, but I feel like there's a political aspect um, there, um, just because during the time when... Um, maybe the word bisexual um, and gay and queer was being used in the 70s and 80s and 90s. There weren't nuanced conversations about gender. Um, it wasn't really recognized that gender and, and sexuality was existing on a spectrum. And I think we understand that consequently, there were all kinds of stereotypes um, and parts of people's identity that, that weren't recognized. And so to me, um, Identifying as pansexual opens up the conversation for people to say, what is pansexual and what are those nuances um, and how are we um, moving through these queer spaces differently because we're able to have that um, language and um, freedom to 
explore identity? Yeah. So just like to like um, dive into it a little bit. So those nuances you're talking about. So like for bisexuality, you'd be like, okay, um, someone who likes a male or a female, and that doesn't include people who are non-binary or people who are going through trans gender changes and things of that nature. So for you, um, I guess to um, like clarify, does pansexuality for you mean like loving people despite all of the nuances, like the nuances don't matter to you. You care more about the person and less about how they identify. Is it that or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, there's so many layers to identifying. Obviously, it's like um, gender, gender expression, sexuality, and all these things. And I think people are constantly evolving and moving through those um, definitions and seeing what applies to them. And so I don't think there's any, those things aren't static or finite. So if I would, I couldn't say, you know, I prefer this kind of man or this kind of woman or, um, this, this kind of non-binary person or this kind of expression when there are so many ways to, um, to show up in that way. And, and, and it's always changing. Um, so yes, yes, I would say um, <laughs> that um, I value more um, the person than the way that they're identifying value more their energy because those things are always, um, they're just nebulous, they're abstract and they have to be felt more than identified. So I wanted to hop in really quickly to talk to you the difference about sexual orientation gender identity, and gender expression. So I know there's a lot of words that are all over a place and it's very easy to get mixed up. And I constantly have to um, check myself and make sure I'm speaking accurately. But your sexual orientation is based on who you are attracted to. So who are you drawn to romantically or sexually? Who do you um, build connections with emotionally? Now, your gender identity is how you view yourself. So do you consider yourself male, female? Do you consider yourself genderqueer or non-binary? binary. And there may be some other titles out there as well. And so your gender expression is how you present yourself. So I'm saying all these different things because they don't all have to be aligned. So for example, someone's biological sex, so how they were born may not be how they identify. Someone's biological sex may not be how they express their gender identity as well. So for example, I can be a female whose um, birth sex is female. So I'm a woman who identifies with being a woman as well, but my gender expression might be male. So I might be this woman who was born a woman, identify as a woman, but I am masculine presenting, right? So there's a lot of range for what this could look like, who people are attracted to, how they like to show up in the world, so what gender they like to show up in the world, what gender they believe themselves to be, as well as who um, they find romantic interest, sexual interest, emotional interest in. So how did you know, like, or when did you know? I know you mentioned a little bit earlier, like, things are evolving not just with each individual, but, like, as a society, how we understand those things about people, and then we're reclassifying things, you know, relabeling things because we feel like we need to title and like place it in some sort of way that is more digestible, I guess, or in a way that we can understand. But um, like how or when did you know that 
like, hmm, I'm a pansexual. Like, did you identify as bisexual in the past and then it evolved for you or you've always known that you were pansexual or maybe you didn't, you knew how you felt, but you didn't have the word for it yet. Like, what was that like for you? Um, it was definitely an evolution. Um, when I was a teenager, when I was 14, I had a friend uh, who, was a, who was a girl who, who came to me and was like, you know, I think I have feelings for you. And it really freaked me out. um just based on the things that I was programmed with and I sat and I thought about it and I was like maybe I maybe I do want to sit with this person and maybe cuddle with this person and maybe um explore what it is to date as a young person like with this other person um and so eventually I did and um we started dating and we kept it a secret um and I I don't know if I ever really considered myself bisexual, but I knew that I liked um, boys and I knew that I liked girls and um, I didn't, I didn't really talk about it um, out loud. I, I didn't probably feel very very confident um, talking about, talking about, um, I just felt like I had to figure it out for myself um, before I could share that part of me with the rest of the world. And then when I hit um, 20, I saw this list of words that were, you know, pansexual, bisexual, demisexual, um, uh, cisgendered, transgendered, um, um, non-binary. And that was really my first exposure to the fact that these conversations were happening in academia. And so I decided to um, dive in and check it out. And when I saw pansexual, I was like, I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. You're like, that's the one out of all of these lists of things. If this one is me. Yeah. Um, Is it okay if I ask about like your cultural background only because I feel like obviously like how we're raised has such a large impact on like some of the shame we might feel around the things we want to explore sexually. Um, so for me, like I'm Haitian, I'm first generation Haitian and first gen doesn't make it any less <laughs> stringent. I was not raised in a, yeah, sex, yeah. you know, a sex positive right. home. So, um, and I see a, a common trend amongst other women in particular from other Caribbean islands, from different, Afri- you know, places in Africa, like there's this commonality, like all our parents went to the same parenting one-on-one anti-sex positive <laughs> household training. And there's a lot of like, you know, like similar experiences there. So I just wanted to ask like, what's your cultural background and with your cultural background, like how you feel that influenced your sexuality and why you felt like you needed to, you know, figure this out by yourself. And have you had conversations with your family about your sexuality and, and what was, what were those conversations like? Yeah. So, um, I'm mixed with a whole lot of things, um, Caucasian and indigenous primarily. Um, and I grew up with a single mother, um, not a lot of family involvement. Um, I kind of was just doing what I did, um, on my own time. Um, not a lot of people checking for me. And so I didn't really have the kind of relationship with my mom where we talked about identity. 
Um, we didn't talk about like what was really going on in my life. Um, and so it, considering whether or not that would be a conversation I would have had with my mom was never, um, was never something that crossed my mind. I have three sisters um, and I was definitely the black sheep. And I feel like whenever I did anything that was off the beaten path, everyone was just like, oh, there's the Seisha, you know, doing that stuff <laughs> that she does. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so um, when I started to explore my sexuality and have partners that weren't men, I just showed up with them um, mm. and and there was never a conversation about it. And do you feel like it was clear to your mom or your sisters that these were romantic partners or, and not just a friend of yours? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the things you said was like, like when you were younger and you were like, had that friend that scared the fuck out of you by telling you they liked you, but you were exploring that, you know, just not really having a lot of like safe places where you could have these conversations, be with like, pe- like-minded people and things of that nature. Do you feel like now that you're older that you found some of those spaces? And if so, like, where would you recommend someone who's like a teen, even looking for a safe space like that, or someone who's older, who's finally in the space where they can like comfortably they're out they're grown now so they can do what they want and like so like they want to try to explore these things yeah well the culture here in Minneapolis is very much um arts and there's a lot of art and there's a lot of queer shit (laughs) so um here excuse me here if you're an artist um, you might also be in uh, organizing circles. Um, might also know a lot of spaces where queer folks hang out. Um, and so, I, th- I think that's probably true in other spaces or in other um, in other cities. That if you want to find the gays, then you go find. Them. <laughs> you go find the gays. I don't know why. I think adding an S at the end of words it's just fucking hilarious so if you say like the gays the men's I don't know why I think that shit is funny but it's funny as hell to me yes so if you want to find like other queer people then then find art um and just generally spaces where like expression is encouraged um I think that's probably why That's probably why organizing spaces fall in that category because it's another space where um, people are encouraged to express themselves. And um, yeah, I, I feel like kind of a, I feel like kind of a, a wanderer and I've definitely found safety um, in places where community reflects back to me my own experience. Yeah, I love the idea of like art is like this common thread and anchor (laughs) to find your peoples. Um, So I think that's really cool. So do you feel like pansexuality like lends itself more to a particular relationship dynamic style or not? Like, do you feel like if someone's pansexual because they um, don't they're not following like a heteronormative, you know, way to go about relationships or their sexuality that they would lean more towards polyamory or do you feel like like that part doesn't even matter like that's just their 
um, sexual orientation, but that individual can be poly or, you know, not interested in poly. What do you, what's your take on that? You know, I think just off the top that no, being pansexual would not uh, lend more to someone being monogamous or non-monogamous. But I do think that in this realm of like, um, just academia and exploring these definitions. Sexuality has range. And there's been some research done to try to quantify or provide some um, figures to that range. And so one that was super popular is the Kinsley scale. So developed by this doctor named Alfred Kinsley with some other doctors who did some research back in 48, released some data and they released some data from males. And then they released some data a few years later for females in 53. But the idea was that they interviewed thousands and thousands of people about their sexual histories. And they used that qualitative data add some stats to create this six-point scale. Um, It it went from zero to six. Zero being someone who's exclusively heterosexual and then six being exclusively homosexual. But what they were finding was that most people don't just fall on zero or six, that people are somewhere in between. You can be heterosexual or homosexual, but you can be attracted to the same or opposite sex. Or what I find really funny is when you read the scale, there's some of them that say, oh, you're, you're predominantly heterosexual, but you're incidentally homosexual, which I think is funny. What does that mean, incidentally homosexual? So I'm guessing just someone who has had some point in their sexual history where someone could be, let's say, a heterosexual male, maybe kissed another boy in college. So they're still heterosexual, but they had this incident, (laughs) this incidental homosexuality moment. Um, But I hope that as you like look into some research, there were some other skills developed because this talked about sexuality, but it didn't, it doesn't address sexual identity um, and there was, or or gender identities. It doesn't address any of those things. There were some other skills um, developed later on. So the client sexual orientation grid was one of them. Um, And there were some other ones that tried to plot eroticism to better display the range that happens in sexuality. But regardless of what you're reading into and what you were looking at, I hope that your takeaway is that sexuality has range. Um, Sexuality can change throughout someone's lifetime. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I remember freshman year, every girl was heterosexual. 10th grade year specifically, damn near the entire female student body was gay or bisexual. And then junior year, I mean, everybody was back to being heterosexual or pregnant. And I remember during that time, everyone was like, hmm, wasn't so-and-so gay last year? Wasn't so-and-so this? Oh, how'd she get pregnant if she like girls now? And it was just all of this talk, but it's not uncommon for young adolescents, especially for the middle school age and moving into high school and early adulthood to explore or people who maybe have been um, heterosexual their whole lives. A lot of people have this common experience of exploring their sexuality more when they get to undergrad. Like this is a common thing. So just understanding that it has range. It is dynamic. It can change what once worked for you. And even you, if you identify one way now and find out later, you're growing in your attraction for different types of people and different types of things that can happen. You don't have to just stick to it, nail in the coffin. Well, I identified as this. I felt this way at this time. So this is the only thing that I can do. And just making sure that you're leading in love with your interactions with other people who may be going through their own sexual orientation changes, gender identity changes as well. So I hope your takeaway, regardless if you're listening to this or looking into some other research is that sexuality has range. Things get really, things get really heady, I think. Um, and I think that a lot of people might feel pressure to explore ideas that seem like 
um, more like liberal or expansive. Um, uh, and, and also we find ourselves around other people who are exploring these concepts. And so sometimes it's not a pressure to explore those things. Sometimes it's a general curiosity because um, the ideas are existing here, the language is existing here. Like um, I'm free to to go explore those things. I think if someone um, is on a journey to exploring who they are and defining who they are, it's more likely that they'll say, um, does non-monogamy fit into my lifestyle? Is that something that I'm in alignment with? Um, is it something that I want to explore? Um, so the possibility for exploration is there more, I would say, but I don't think that someone who is pansexual is more likely to be monogamous or non-monogamous. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I don't believe there's like this one size fits all or anything. And I only ask that question just because just from my observations and interactions with others, I feel like when you are more sexually open or you don't subscribe to like, you know, this one way of going about things, people just make this assumption. It's like a everything's a go, <laughs> like all of a sudden everything's a go. So I would say for yeah. me personally, um, people always make an assumption that I'm bi- like that I'm poly or that I'm, I was about to say Bali because I would say bi. <laughs> I was about to say bi and poly and I blend them both together. But a lot of people make yeah. the assumption that I'm poly and make the assumption that I'm bisexual because I'm sexually open and expressive. Like, you know, in my work that I do, in the art and the work that I share and just, you know, like how I lead my life and how I show up in spaces, people just make the assumption like, oh yeah, you're open, you're expressive. You talk about these things, you're comfortable mm-hmm. discussing kink, et cetera you got to be poly. You got to like women. You have to. And I'm like, no, (laughs) you know, I don't have to actually. And this is what my, you know, my preference is. This is the lifestyle that I lead. Like I can be supportive of a variety of lifestyles and not having to lead them myself. Yeah. I think that can lead us urge to just like bust it wide open after you've been in this space of like, (laughs) uh, I, I need to fit into like heteronormativity or like I'm doing what my parents say, or like, I haven't been able to you know, like show up authentically and then people are like, people see the color and they're like, you know, let's do all the things. Rainbow. Uh, <laughs> Rainbow. Be with all the people and you should do it too because, hey, you know, it's like going to a rave and taking some ecstasy or something. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but it's, it's kind of like pull it back. That's what I've learned as I'm approaching my 30s that I've done a lot of exploring and I'm like, hey, like, what's here with me and um like how can I move in a space that honors that and like find some peace there mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in contrast to um just being wild and doing whatever yeah I hear that um so you mentioned earlier like you don't really have like an affinity for like one particular gender or one orientation over another but if you can just take like a super quick like mental audit of your current and or like former partners or dating history is there a trend or commonality between um the people you're dating so for instance like I have a friend who is bisexual and people make the assumption like that bisexual people like this both you know both sexes equally and she doesn't she is in a relationship with a man, but is more attractive to women and has more dating history with women and, and stuff like that. So I was just curious to know if do you um, like have a trend or can make some sort of like, look at some commonalities between your past partners. There's definitely a trend. <laughs> um, um, I would say 
not necessarily with gender, but with gender expression. Mm-hmm. I tend to I tend to date um, men who are femme leaning, or women who are mask leaning, or people who are um, non-binary and sort of fall in the middle of um, existing in masculinity and femininity. I I very much like um, I, le- I very much like the and also and the flowing in between um, in my partners. Yeah, so you like the people that's like fucking shit up and not following the rules, quote unquote, and yeah. just like doing their own thing. So yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, but like when you look at them, you're like, what? What are you like? <laughs> like what's what do you on? like? What do you do? What <laughs> so that sparks your interest, like at the door. Like I need mm-hmm. to find out more about this person. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of dating for you. Um, so like when you meet a potential partner or you're interested in someone, is this something you share about yourself up front? Or is it like, because like you said, you're involved with like men who are femme leaning or women who are mass leaning that they're already in a space where you guys are sharing, um, like sharing something like in common in terms of, you know, maybe identifying as queer or something like that. Um, have you dated someone who's like heterosexual? And then this is something like you need to share with them about yourself. And like, what are those conversations like? I mostly date people who um, identify as queer um, and anyone who doesn't explicitly identify as queer has later said, you know, I think, I think I might be queer. (laughs) Um, And the person I'm thinking about, um, we had a conversation about my preferences and, and where I'm at and, um, it took a second to think about it. And I think it inspired them um, to think about how those things applied to themselves and then kind of opened up to me about like the possibility of their queerness. And I'm not here to tell anyone who they are, how they should identify, but I saw it. I could see Mm -hmm. it was like queer. (laughs) Um, Otherwise I probably wouldn't have been there. So yeah. Yeah. It's always been, um, it's always been, you know, um, something that's been on the table. It's other people um, being queer is something that makes me feel um, safe and exploring relationships to them. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so again, because you're a pansexual, people might think like you're for the streets, you know, like people just <laughs> make this assumption like everything's a go. <laughs> but could you talk to um, talk to me a little bit about like your celibacy journey? Like, what does that mean to you? What did that look like for you? Really quick, I want to jump in and talk about what is the difference between abstinence and celibacy? So for the longest, when I was younger, I confused the words. I didn't know if they meant exactly the same thing. I pretty much associated celibacy with waiting till marriage and then abstinence just from like abstaining from sex. But the main difference between the two words is that abstinence is just to refrain from any vice, really. It can be sex. It can be like gambling, shopping. It can be drugs. It's just choosing to completely avoid or abstain from something that might be a vice or um, anything that you're trying to avoid altogether. Now, celibacy is exclusive to a sexuality space, whereas abstinence isn't. But celibacy is just reframing from sex for 
whatever period of time you've decided. So that could mean until marriage. It doesn't have to. So for me, when I was younger, I always associate celibacy with waiting till marriage, but into my adulthood, just understanding that it can look different for different people. Maybe celibacy is a month. It's a day. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it is till marriage, but you can decide what that looks like for you. And you do not have to adhere to any particular guidelines of the right and wrong way. And if celibacy to you means that you masturbate or don't, you, you get to set the guidelines and the parameters and the boundaries for what that looks like for you. If it means just no um, penetrative sex, but everything else is on the table, floor plates on the table, outer courses on the table, you get to make those decisions. So unless you say sexual abstinence specifically, abstinence can be just abstaining for any vice or anything you want to abstain from. And then celibacy is um, adding abstinence specifically in a sexual context. Yeah. So um there may have been times where I was trying to be for the streets. I've never, I couldn't really, <laughs> I couldn't really. Um, you couldn't hold correctly. <laughs> so you no, had to, you had to no. reel it in. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm too sensitive to that. <laughs> um, but I have, I, I do identify as non-monogamous. I've been mm-hmm. identifying that way since I started dating in, in my early 20s. Um, so non-monogamous, pansexual, um, I definitely gave myself the space to explore the types of relationship dynamics and the types of people, um, that I needed to, in order to figure out, uh, what my preferences were, um, and what I was here for and what I wasn't, um, AKA the street, but (laughs) (laughs) she is not Um, for the street. Um, but I think it's been within the last, um, so I've been celibate for four months and I told myself that I would be on this celibacy journey for a year. So I'm kind of, you know, in the beginning of, in the beginning of things. And what led me to that was just understanding that um, given I had all this time to go explore and Um, understand what kind of people I wanted to interact with and what was out there and what was possible. I just got to this place where I wanted to know what was at my center, what, what sort of wants and needs are and desires are existing here with me when I'm still, and I'm not interacting with other people and their wants and needs and desires and out of all of these definitions that I've taken in and all of these like relationship models that exist that I may have participated in, what parts of me go, might go like just a little bit further than those definitions or what parts of me might um, deviate from those, from those definitions or from those modes of being? Um, and how do I, um, yeah, just sort through all those things and get really clear about it? Um, knowing myself um, and my patterns um, and how I might want to navigate through those dynamics in the future in a different way or in a way that is um, most aligned with me. So really just born of curiosity. And when I first um, started this uh, journey with celibacy, I kind of viewed it like, I was keeping something for myself 
um, like I was restricting something. Um, and I came to realize that there's so much exploration in both. There's so much exploration in dating other people and having sex with people. Um, and there's also so much exploration in not doing that and sitting with yourself and discovering things about you um, and putting all of your sexual and creative energy back into your life in order to build the things that are important to you. Um, so I've definitely come to this place of wholeness with it. It was really hard at first, kind of like, you, you know, stop smoking or you stop eating sugar, but um, it, it definitely feels right and good and whole. So, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I'm just thinking about like, uh, my own journey and I've never explicitly like named it and said like, Oh, I'm going to be celibate for X amount of time. I've just had patterns of like abstaining from sex for different lengths of time throughout, just throughout my dating history. And it can range anywhere from like six months to a whole year. And it's, um, and so I never like said, like put a timeline on it. It would just, just depend on where I was in my life at the time and whether or not I felt like I had the capacity to, welcome someone into my space or whether I had emotional availability. And if I felt like I didn't, then, you know, I just didn't engage. Um, and then I would come out of this hiatus when, you know, just like whenever I felt like it and just do a lot of like what you're saying, like just focusing on the shit I want to do for self, like energy, like relationships, regardless of like at what stage or phase of the relationship, take time, energy, effort to some degree. And I, if I didn't feel like sharing that or relinquishing that, I just would channel that energy into myself. Um, but I was just thinking about how people, I don't know if the words define or like their understanding of celibacy and what it is. I do remember like a while back, like sharing some like writing in prose about celibacy and then having someone comment like, oh, you're masturbating, you not practicing celibacy and you don't have no willpower and you like just coming for me. And uh -oh. I just remember thinking like, sis, I do what the fuck I want. It's my pussy, I do what yeah. I want. I was thinking, that was my first thought. But then my thought after that is just like, how some people celibacy is waiting until marriage. So anything that isn't waiting until marriage, um, anything that isn't waiting until marriage isn't celibacy. And I remember that was kind of like the baseline definition I had of celibacy, even as a, you know, as a child, like celibacy means waiting till marriage. But I've, right. you know, I personally, I'm a divorcee. So I've been married before. And I remember thinking as an adult, like, okay, I'm going to go through another phase of time where I want to abstain from sex and focus on self. And I'm like, I already knew it was not going to be till marriage because I don't know. Um, I'm not against getting married again, but I don't know if that's something that's in my life path again. And I'm OK with it not being in my life path and whether or not I get some dick cannot be dependent on, on whether I get married again. Like that is not yeah. it for me. Like I, I had already knew, known up front, like my sex life is not contingent upon marital status. Like there's just something about that that's just like. If that is what people choose to do, that's fine. But I don't feel like that is the norm. Um, that has to be the norm for everyone. And then this idea that if you're engaging in solo, I think solo sex is valid. Um, and if you're engaging in solo sex or solo play, you're masturbating, orgasming, et cetera, then, that, then you're not being celibate. And I think people should also understand like their why to doing the commitment in the first place. And that they can define what that looks like for them. Maybe celibacy, I've had... Um, 
a time in my life where celibacy for me just meant no non like non no like penetrative sex and i had sexual ex- sexual and sensual experiences with with a partner but we just everything was just out of course there was just no penetration and that was still celibacy to me so i think just expanding our thinking and understanding that that shit can look like whatever the fuck you want it to look like and if that is still celibacy to you then you know that that's still fine yeah, I'm sort of existing in that camp. Like, it looks like what it looks like for you. Um, I know that, I mean, obviously, we're talking about, if we talk about celibacy in like a biblical sense, there's um, religious connotations there. Um, and I know that there's, there are a lot of faiths and practices that talk about celibacy and, um, so just like a lot of other things, I think it's something that's been distorted um, by the way that people want to interpret um, religion or spirituality. And um, I know that like in the East, um, celibacy or abstaining from orgasm is like connected to how they they view your life force energy and how your, mm-hmm. your life force energy is rooted in your sexual energy and therefore not orgasming or or releasing that is um, basically bottling it up in your body so that you can take that into the world and use it for art or for business or for you know whatever it is that you want to use it for I connect with that part of things a little bit um for me when I started being celibate I was just saying I'm not going to have penetrative sex um and for me that meant I'm not going to let anyone go down on me mm-hmm. or go down on anyone else either because I know I don't have the self-control once that starts happening. Everything else <laughs> is going to happen too. It's a go. <laughs> so um, I was like, I'm not, I'm just over the clothes touching only and that is for me even pushing it a little bit. But um, I was still masturbating, um, having solo sex um, because that was what celibacy meant for me. And then after a period of time when I hadn't orgasmed for a while, I did notice this sort of like energy bubble up, you know, like how um, people in the Eastern world might talk about what happens when you don't orgasm for a while. And I felt this like oomph to, you know, go do my to-do list for my business or like go write this poem that I need mm-hmm. to finish or whatever. And so I thought to myself, maybe there is some value in practicing discipline around not fulfilling my urges immediately Mm -hmm. um, so that I can build something and have a more sustainable sense of like joy and gratification based on what I'm building. Um, And so I did decide to move into a space where I wasn't um, having solo sex or penetrative sex with others um, just because this whole thing for me has been about self-exploration and Mm -hmm. I'm interested I'm interested to know what I can cultivate for myself what are my boundaries where are my walls um but yeah like you said I think it's I think it should be completely self-defined and I think it's weird behavior for other people to come in and say like this is what this should mean for you you know yeah that's weird but yeah I love the idea of like kind of 
you know, charging up your chi. And then when you do get the chance to expel it, like using it like in other spaces or as the oomph that you need to propel forward into different things, whether it's creatively um, and other things in your life. Yeah. Cause I mean, like I might go, I might just experiment with it. Like I might go a period of time without masturbating and, and having solo sex. Masturbation is, masturbating is a weird word. <laughs> It is though, yeah. It's it's a very weird word. I wrote this like blog post on masturbation, but the origin of the word, I think it's like has like a Latin and French background, but it means to defile oneself. Which is yes, that's what the like word, like the original words translation means. So that's why I usually I use the word masturbation for like common understanding, like we know what this word means, but I do prefer to say like solo sex or self-pleasure, just because I do believe what we say and the meaning of words, like the etymology of words, is us speaking spells on ourselves and each other. So no wonder we feel crappy about masturbation because the word means to defile and what? I don't view that as a self, you know, like a disgrace to my own body. So who wants to talk about masturbation? You have to say that big ugly word. (laughs) It is a big ass. It's a mouthful. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I could see what it's like to abstain from self-pleasuring or releasing until I have uh you know a big poetry show to do where I'm finishing this poetry and then I go perform and then after maybe release or orgasm after mm-hmm. I've built that moment like what does it look like to engage with my own sexual energy based on what's going on in like my inner and outer worlds and I wouldn't be able to explore in that way if I was sitting here thinking to myself, like, what's the textbook definition? Or how yeah. would someone tell me that I'm supposed to be able supposed to be navigating celibacy or whatever else that I'm yeah. living? <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I feel like I honestly can say that I've created my best work. I've came to my best ideas. I feel like I've been the most creatively free when. I like tap into my like sexual energy um, or like build up a reserve. Like, I'll be honest and say like, like at one point during my own journey, I was like, hmm, I masturbate quite often. And <laughs> I don't think, I don't, I don't think I ever go like, like longer than a week, like over a week, I'm like, oh, this is a problem. I need to do something about this. So I, I so I made that observation. I was like, yeah, like you do this quite often. What would this look like for you not to do it and not to respond every single urge, every single time, and just not always answering yeah. to flesh, not always answering to flesh. Yeah. And so I would say for me, I notice different changes in my body when I wait, like to the point where like, oh, okay, if I go this week, once I'm in week two, I may mentally not be aroused, but my body is being just being yeah. responsive because it's used to being stimulated. It's kind of like this is like withdrawal process. Like it's used to being stimulated. So it's kind of like, hey, bitch, like what's up? Like what's going on here? Um, and yeah, and just kind of working through. I do think there is something powerful. Um, just, a, yeah, just about that discipline as well. I would say like, yeah. are you? Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you like if there was like a like any like tools or resources that you're using to support yourself in this journey right now or any projects like you were mentioning, like building this up and then having this experience like a poetry performance and then releasing after, like, do you have something that's coming up for you that you're like, no, I got to charge the fuck up and <laughs> build myself up to this thing. Um, 
I was just going to say before, I, I think that it's so fascinating to be able to get to explore yourself, like your biological, uh, your biological responses, the, the way that your physical, mental, emotional kind of collide in, in these worlds. And I think sex definitely um, encompasses all of those areas, the, the physical, emotional, and spiritual. And it's just so exciting to me to think about and to feel out in my own body. Um, but yeah, so I, I recently um, did a poetry reading um, at a show, it was like a mixed um, mixed media show. Um, it was it was beautiful. It was I felt myself when I was there, um, having not orgasmed for a while. Just um, I I kind of felt like I was bubbling over, um, and I knew that I was about to perform and uh, sort of like serenade the people with my words and um yeah I just I felt I felt magnetic and um since that energy was so poignant I was able to step into it um when I was on stage um and just be there and I felt like afterwards that that experience that living in that energy and that and that chi and that sensuousness with my poetry um that afterwards I was like, that kind of felt like sex. Nice. <laughs> I felt really good. Um, and other than that, I, I've just been putting that sort of energy toward um, building my business and um, also in a way transferring it to other relationships in my life that might not be sexual or romantic mm. um, and exploring like, how do I, as a femme person, carry sensuality in my interactions with other people? And yeah, how does that translate? Like, it, it feels to me like something that's really nourishing and healing when um, when I'm able to live in it and when I'm able to sort of like touch other people with that energy. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I love the, like, from what I'm hearing you say, it's making me think expanding how we experience pleasure. So not like limiting how we experience pleasure to the physical act of having sex. Like you said, like that experience you had of like building up that energy and doing this performance and sharing your art with, you know, the masses of people that were there and having this shared experience, like that, that felt like sex to you. Like, and it came from this like euphoric place and this feeling of pleasure. So just giving ourselves the opportunity to like engage in pleasure in ways that are just not just fucking as the only way um, yeah, to do I it. Yeah, I kind of felt like, you know how like, um, you know, when you're when you're on top and you're riding someone, you know, you're doing really good. You know, they're looking up at you and you're glistening and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, that pleasure. <laughs> That's the feeling that I had on stage glowing. Because you were on top. <laughs> you yeah. were on stage, you were on top glowing, <laughs> doing your thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is beautiful. So I have some rapid fire questions for you from our, for my followers. Um, I think you spoke to some of these a little bit, but the first is how long, what is the longest um, you've abstained from sex? This is the longest. (laughs) This is the four months um, where I'm at right now is the longest. And I was just listening to you talk about earlier feeling so like impressed 
<laughs> that you that you've been able to go that far. I didn't think I could do it, but here we are. Yes, and we are going for a year. And the other thing too, I didn't mention this before, but like if you break fast, I, I also call it like fast, you know, like fasting from sex. Mm-hmm. But like if you break fast, you break fast. Like okay start over or don't start over like reevaluate where you are whatever the case may be like it happens it's okay like it's fine um so the next question is i think you spoke to non-binary already but have you dated anyone who was trans or non-binary and what was that like for you um yeah i've dated a few people who were trans and non-binary my first long-term relationship was with a person who identified as a woman Um, And then later in the relationship, um, talked about um, their their transness and starting their journey and about exploring transness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that was, um, I don't don't know how to attach the right uh, adjectives to it. It was it was sweet. It was really um, nice to be able to watch someone um, feel safe enough to say to me, uh, who, as someone who had been their long-term partner, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I might be a boy. Um, mm-hmm. It was really like, it was really an honor to me um, to be able to explore that with, with them. Um, yeah, I, I I just felt I felt honored. It felt sweet. Um, you are such a like I just don't I don't even have a word for you. I just feel like oh, you're just so sweet. <laughs> you're like, yeah, like, you know, like this is this thing that you're going through. And I'm like honored to be on this journey with you instead of having the perspective of like that's not who the fuck I started dating. So, or, you know, that's not, you know, I just think it's cool that you created and like cultivated that safe space for that person. An energy thing when I'm, I'm going into this knowing that like you might identify as a woman right now, but the way that you, the way that you show up in the world is a balance between masculine and feminine feminine. And that's what I feel. And that's what I love. And that's what I appreciate. And, if I was really caught up on these definitions saying like, you're a woman. And so therefore I may, I have these assumptions in my brain, mm-hmm. but your experience, who you are, and this is the box. Um, then I probably would feel jarred um, when that person came to me and was like, I, I don't feel like I fit in this box. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I can see that. Um, so the last rapid fire question is if someone was interested in exploring pansexuality, what advice do you have for them? Are there some ways that they should go about doing that? Any resources or circles or conversations they should be having? Yeah, I think really just, um, exploring what the difference between like gender and gender expression is, um, and knowing that, yeah, exploring that in order to come to the place where you understand that humans are so dynamic. There's so many different ways for them to show up, um, for us to show up and for us to interact with each other. Um, and really just understanding all the possibility for me has opened me up to um, whatever, whatever, whatever comes, whatever happens. Um, I'm free to decide 
um, not necessarily what I think about this or what should be going on, but how I feel about it. Um, mm. How do I feel when um, I'm exploring um, dating people with different gender identities? Um, yeah, how can I listen to myself um, when I'm exploring what I need and how can I listen to other people talk about what they need um, and where those things need? Just be open, I guess. And also don't force yourself to be participating in certain relationship styles just because you feel like other people are doing that or there's this open community um, where people are just being open like we were talking about earlier. Just really be open and honor yourself. Yes, I love that. Well, Lasatia, thank you so much for like sharing your experience and expanding our understanding. Um, and before you leave us, could you finish this statement? We should normalize. Um, we should normalize checking in with ourselves first, um, being grounded in ourselves first, and committing to practices that make us feel safe enough in our body to do that. So I can be grounded I can be here um, with me when I feel safe enough to be here um, in my body and that's the that's the root that's the foundation um, that is the place that we should each be moving from and once we're in that space then we can be asking questions about how do I show up in a way that's compassionate or respect other people but that part um, needs to come first and I think that we should normalize that Thank you so much for being here. I had a really good time. Thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, I had a good time too. Um, yeah, I appreciate your questions and and your and your beingness um, and your knowledge. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to give a big shout out to our featured guest, Lasatia, and I wanted to leave you with some reflection questions that you can um, take some time to journal with or just think about, or maybe you can use them to spark some dialogue. So the first is, would you be okay if your partner or your child informed you that they are identifying or transitioning into a different sex? How would you feel about that? If your child told you like, hey, yeah, I'm not a boy. I really feel like I'm a girl. Or if you have a partner, you've met and at some point within the romantic partnership they let you know like hey i actually feel more like x how would you feel that way or i want to transition into x how would you feel next is have you considered celibacy and if so what is or what was your motivation to do so like what does celibacy mean to you and what does that look like You can connect with me on socials at Sashada Rose underscore on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me on YouTube and Patreon. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>